You've just joined us for another episode of Pause It For Me. I'm here with my lovely wife, Hannah. Hello. And I'm here with a very special guest, Ben Bergeron. Hi, Andrew. <laughs> Hi, how's it going? <laughs> my first question I just have to ask right off the bat, are you having a good day? And if not, what can I do to make it better? Uh, it's going all right. Um, you know, um, I think I could go for a coffee right about now, but mm. obviously we can't do that while we're actively recording. <laughs> You know what? We're not above oh, stopping yeah. everything right now. All forward momentum and going out and getting a couple of decafs. But uh, <laughs> I think we're already on a roll here. So yeah, we better just keep going. jump off to it. So I met Ben uh, through going to the Kino Ottawa Short Film Festival. And we met kind of tangentially. Um, but I've seen you talk on stage and I've seen some of your shorts. Seem like a really interesting guy with a lot of creative vision. And then I saw you on stage talking at a panel at Ottawa Comic Con, much the same that I did with uh, Scott Blurton, who we just had on. And uh, I invited you to come on the podcast because I thought it'd be fun to talk about filming with you. So I really appreciate you being here. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate being invited. I don't know. I, I don't know who like gave you this sense of like me as this guy who knows what he's talking about, <laughs> but. Um, I mean, we all know what we're talking about to a certain degree, mm -hmm. and we all have a ton to learn from a, a totally other degree. You know, every day is a school day, and uh, there's always something to be educated on. So right off the bat, I want to ask you, can you give us some background of, on you as a filmmaker and how you got into filmmaking? No, for sure. Um, so yeah, so I guess I have really wanted to make films pretty much my whole life, like since I was a little kid running around. As soon as we got a digital camera that could capture video... I was pretty much trying to make movies. Um, yeah, I at first would try to make movies by myself. Then I started trying to do Lego stop motion movies with my friends. Oh, yeah. They would never show up, so I'd end up also doing it by myself. Oh. And a lesson I learned very early on that took me a long time to unlearn was that no one's ever going to be as committed to your projects as you are, so you may as well just do everything yourself. Um, while I was in high school, I was, you know, always off by myself, I made um, a, basically a feature length worth of Spider-Man fan films. I made Ooh. seven altogether. You're talking Andrew's language here. Yeah, so I did everything, all the camera work, editing. Um, I played Spider-Man, I played Peter nice. Parker. You know, did the whole thing, they're so bad. They're, they're so bad. <laughs> Do you have a Spidey suit and everything? Yeah, the suit still fits Amazing. me because I had it made when I was 14 and I happen to have remained the exact same size <laughs> since then. Uh, so that's all been that's all been good. I got it. I got like a nice suit, I think for like $300 custom Ooh. made. Oh, wow. To exactly Ooh. fit my dimensions then because I decided nice. that was the one area of the film I wanted to invest money into. <laughs> Wow, that's sure. legit. My my Spidey suit was uh, much less expensive, and then I customized it myself. Nice. <laughs> Did you play any of the villains yourself? Um, so I wouldn't be like the main actor for a villain ever, but sometimes my other actors wouldn't show up, and I'd be like, okay, well, it's a full face mask for Shocker. I'll, I'll put this on. I'll do that role too for a bit. <laughs> so there, there's shots where I am the other characters, but mostly I was only Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Hmm. Um, right. Oh, and there's one scene where I couldn't get anyone else to be a news reporter, so I'm the news reporter in a wig. It's always fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but then my friend Graham, who I was working with on those, uh, him and I decided to go off to film school, and we went together to Confederation College in Thunder Bay. Um, before that, I had actually been engaged with the Youth Active Media program that Youth Ottawa runs uh, that I'm now in charge of as a participant and so I got to spend a week making a short film with some other youth and that was a really good encouraging experience for me. So after that I went to film school 
um, with my friend, we made a bunch of new friends, uh, a lot of whom we still actually work with. And I graduated and it was like, okay, now what? I've been, you know, just studying for two years on how to work on set. I don't really want to just like go be a PA, no mm-hmm. disrespect to anyone doing that, for sure. but that wasn't really the move for me. And yeah, I ended up just happening to find out that around then they were looking for someone to take over running the youth active media program and the associated production company, which was hot shoe productions. And, um, luckily the people in charge of that were, <laughs> you know, uh, did not know that much about film and were willing to hire a 20 year old fresh out of film school. Um, so then for the last four years, that's what I've been doing. That's exciting to yeah. be able to land something close after film school. And it's a full circle moment because you were there yourself couple years ago yeah exactly and now i get to run my own film school we did our first pop-up film school this year which was a week-long training course um and we got to actually pay all the participants 500 dollars to participate That's wow awesome. thanks to some funding from real canada so that was a really cool opportunity but yeah so hot Street productions is basically a corporate video production company with a social lens is kind of how we describe it uh so we do youth employment so all of our staff including myself we're all under 30 um And basically we make a point of, you know, on top of, you know, employing youth who are more experienced and can make stuff through the program uh, to actually make videos for different clients, a lot of whom are nonprofits that support youth as well, Mm -hmm. or youth-led organizations. Um, But on top of that, uh, we also run this training and um, provide those other opportunities. This year we had our first um, filmmaker, young filmmakers meetup, which is basically an opportunity for kind of branching out to younger people who might not be comfortable going to like, uh, uh, you know, just a filmmakers networking event. And they'd be like, oh, I'm 15. I'm not a filmmaker Mm -hmm. Um, to give them kind of that opportunity to have their own networking event where they can meet another 15 year old who also wants to be a filmmaker. Um, And that was kind of the idea there. So we've done our first one of those. We're hoping to do another one soon. And we're also working this year to develop our first. uh, We're working in partnership with Soul One Productions to develop the first um, Ottawa Youth Film Festival. So That'll be coming up in May, and it'll be the first um, the first time ever, I believe, in Ottawa where there's been an opportunity for a variety of ages of youth to have their film screened and win awards, just just like any other film festival. That's really cool. I wish I had like a community and resources like that as like a young filmmaker. It felt like film school was like the only way to get there in the past. And that is my exact yeah. opposition. I spent thousands of dollars going to film school. Yeah. I had a great time. I have nothing against them. Yeah. But um, I kind of want to create the opportunity where you can learn on the job and For you sure. don't have to spend that money to go to school. Mm-hmm. I yeah. feel like we've learned the most just by doing and outside of school. I mean, we had a great time as well. But <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And I definitely uh, can relate to the corporate video sector. I got quite a bit of experience there, but uh, you alluded to this. Tell me a little bit more about what keeps you busy as a filmmaker these days on more of the independent creative front. Yeah. So me and my cinematographer, Colin, who conveniently um, also works at Hachu, so we can, you know, we know each other's schedules, which makes it a lot easier to schedule (laughs) a film. Uh, We kind of agreed this year in December that we were going to make one short film every month for the whole year. Um, Wow. So we were at Digi60 and we kind of had this shared moment. Um, We both had a film in it that we actually, we had worked on separate films. Like he had shot one for someone else and I had directed my own and shot it. Um, And we kind of said, well, first off, we should work together next year. But second off, what if we made 12 films, (laughs) one every month? Like, wouldn't we learn so much and get so much better 
um, and, you know, be like potentially the people who can win an award or like, you know, just level up to that game and that level. Um, and that was the goal. And yeah, so we decided then one well, every month we were going to make one short film. Um, so the first one, we actually had a guest director, which was interesting. So that's one of two I didn't direct. Um, and what was that one called? That one was called Midnight Rain. Um, right, okay. So it's, mm-hmm. it was my friend Clayton. It was his... It was his own script. It's kind of intended to be a prelude to a longer script, mm-hmm. um, which he's still working on. To, so hopefully that'll get made um, sooner than later. But basically, uh, that one I just produced, um, and I kind of got some practice just producing and yeah. getting a sense of the producing workflow. Mm-hmm. So I could then step in for the next ones and direct. So all but two of them so far I've directed and probably stay that way, um, which is exciting. But it's definitely been a challenge making one every single month. Um, like there's a lot of, you can't just bat around ideas forever or like worry about something not being good enough. You kind of just have to make what you have to make. And that's been exaggerated even further because we've done inside of this year, the 48 hour challenge and the 72 hour challenge. Um, so both of those are that to an even greater extent. You just have to make something and you have no time to worry about if it's good or not. <laughs> Absolutely. You just got to jump into action. Now, yeah. I definitely want to loop back around to the 48-hour film challenge in a moment. But mm-hmm. I do want to ask. So you're talking about the concept of doing a film, a short film every month. Once you started doing this, was this before or after you started joining up with uh, Kino and producing stuff with that? Because Kino is a, is a monthly film festival that encourages people to, to make films every month. So it seemed like a convenient fit. Yeah, no. Um, so I was actually, this is funny. Um, I was actually involved with Kino. I was one of the founding members of the volunteer committee way back in 2019, 2020. Um, so I used to be the the volunteer projectionist. Oh, okay. oh, cool. Yeah. So before Vince was ever involved, actually, really? um, <laughs> he joined up like shortly after I did. But um, that original founding crew have all since moved on. But I, I knew I knew about it and we'd kind of handed it off to Vince um, and then he relaunched it after the pandemic. Um, so right, okay. I hadn't really been involved for a while, but I came out in December right after Digi60 and um, I actually had thrown together a little film very quickly to have screened that I decided to make like two days before Kino. <laughs> Classic, yeah. Um, and we, we had something in it and it was good to just kind of get on stage and talk to people. Yeah. Um, because I'd never, you know, I was a projectionist. I never went on stage. That that had been kind of my statement um, back then. So it was kind of good to so, to just get back in there and do that. Uh, but yeah, I always knew it was out there. And it was pretty obvious like, that it would be the right platform to do that. For sure. Yeah. Now, you talked about transitioning from making films by yourself to making films with a larger crew. How how big is the average crew for some of your productions? Like, I, I imagine it ranges on small scales like this, but tell me a little bit about that. It's It varies a lot. Um, like, two films ago, we just had pretty much me and Colin, uh, and that was it. Yeah. Uh, we, had, we had our actors, of course, but, um, like, sometimes that's the crew. And then on our 48-hour challenge, we actually had a crew of... Like eight, nine people. I lost wow. count. Yeah. Wow, right on. So it's really anywhere from two to 10 people. Um, and of course, I'm always thinking about it logistically too, because uh, one of the other commitments I made really early on was that I was going to pay everyone. Um, oh, yeah, that's nice. Nope. So the more people are on yeah. set, the more money this film's going <laughs> to yeah. cost me. 
Exactly. Yeah. And the more people that you have on set, it, it can turn into kind of like a... Um, like too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks thing. in yeah. the kitchen. Like as soon mm-hmm. as one person who isn't the director starts pitching an idea, it's like everybody wants to put their two cents in and you just have to make sure that that person is is still steering the ship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that compare to making films on your own? Because I've made a fair amount of films on my own in my bedroom and I can tell you shooting alone sucks. Yeah, yeah when, shooting alone <laughs> is terrible. Yeah, when you're, like, you're setting up the camera, especially if you're shooting on a T2i like I did that doesn't have a flip out screen. Oh my God. And you need to run an <laughs> HDMI over to a TV to see what you're shooting. It's horrible. Now I'll give credit to my high school Spider-Man camera. Um, I had a Sony Handycam that did have a flip out screen. If nothing else, like it only (laughs) shot interlaced footage. Oh, of course, yeah. Uh, But it had a flip out screen, which was (laughs) absolutely essential for how I was making those films. Oh, and it it worked, it was fully automatic. I didn't have to worry about focus or exposure, which was good because I didn't know what those were then. Mm -hmm. It's a good way to just like get started and get a feel of things, even if you don't fully understand the technical side quite yet. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, no, I definitely, um, filming on my own, I found the big thing would be that I would like get, too frustrated too quickly Mm, yeah um and i would just i would leave things well enough too easily um because you just want to get to the edit when you're filming alone and you just want to move on to the part that makes sense to be by yourself right and when you're filming alone it's like you feel like you're in control of everything but it can be even more freeing being able to rely on a crew that it's like I can put this aspect of the production out of my mind because I know this person's going to handle it and I know they're going to do a good job. Oh, exactly. And I'm worrying about, like, I'm, I'm having to think about my performance and the framing and the lighting and the, exactly. and it's just like, oh, I forgot this one thing and I get to the edit and I'm like, well, I'm not reshooting it now, <laughs> even though it's an easy thing to reshoot because it's just me. It would be a hassle. Yeah. You know? It's just so much, um, it's just so much pain, I find, to, to do that. Um, but yeah, I got very used to doing that for a long time. Um, what I think happened, um, like my, my big transition point was actually working in more of a team for corporate work. Um, yeah. Like kind of one of the things about getting handed the company and as a 20-year-old kid was like, I had to figure stuff out. Yeah. Because... Mm-hmm. The adults who were supposed to be in charge, who ran the larger charity that we're part of, they didn't know what was going on. (laughs) Um, And they didn't know how to run a production company and they were trusting me to do it. So I had to just figure stuff out. And yeah, one of the first things I had to figure out was how do I work with the team? Because there there were freelance youth they had hired who I had to, and not only did I have to learn how to work with the team, I had to learn to work with a team who didn't all have a lot of experience. Mm-hmm. And you were kind of steering that ship of children, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of a uh, lot of weight to be put on the shoulders, but obviously gives you a lot of experience in, in you know, directing groups of people and making yeah. sure that, that mm-hmm. a ship has mm-hmm. has a rudder that's going in the right direction. And I learned pretty quickly, like, what to look for in a crew as well, like what makes someone reliable and yeah. what shows someone isn't reliable and when when to count on people and when to... When it's just easier to do stuff yourself. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. those yeah. red flags, exactly. Yeah. So tell me a little bit more about this 48-hour film challenge that you just did, I believe, last weekend. Yeah. Is that correct? Sure. I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so it's the Toronto 48-hour film challenge. Um, so it's part of the global 48-hour film project. Um, basically, you at launch get a few key pieces of information. So you get your... Um, 
you get your genre. So every team gets a separate two genres. So there's like, two I think six, okay. 16 possible genres you can get and each hmm. team is given two, uh, two of them and they're different too from what everyone else gets. Okay. And you have to combine those two or you pick one of the you two? You pick one. Okay. Uh, or you can also combine them, but you have to submit <laughs> under one. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So what two did you get that for that? So we got horror and vacation. Oh, fun. So Va- vacation is a genre? Yeah. I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. Cool. I should watch more vacation movies. Uh, we actually submitted under horror. Um, so that was fun because we felt the vacation elements we ended up using were less intense. Um, but then you also get a required prop you have to use, which in our case was a postcard, which we had pretty much they just put it on the fridge and it's not in the rest of the movie at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, if it doesn't make sense to use it, then, yeah. you know. Uh, we had a required character, uh, which was Kylie, who had to be a chef. Uh, okay. So that was, that was our, they don't have to be the main character, but you have to include them somewhere in the movie. We actually made this our main character. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have, um, as well, they give you a required um, line of dialogue, which was in this case, well, who knew? which we put in right at the end. Hmm. Yeah, That's a nice little tag there. Yeah. So what were some of the challenges that you faced going through that process? Uh, so the biggest challenge I think was the 48 was I was exhausted that whole weekend. Oh boy, um, yeah. Like already before from work. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So I was just going into this, I was tired. And I came up with the story and I was like, I need to go to bed. And I went to bed, <laughs> I slept for like 14 hours. I woke Ooh. up the next day. We got all the stuff for the film. I directed like half the film. And then I said, I need to go to bed again. So I slept for four hours in the basement um, while the rest of the team kept making the movie without me for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then they had to shoot a scene in the basement and I was still asleep um, and I was in the basement. So there is a shot where you can't tell it's a person even, but you can see me technically in the background of the film <laughs> behind the lead actor. I'm asleep. That's your cameo. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Uh, so thank you to, yeah, my, my DP Colin for carrying everyone through that leg of the film where I was just so physically exhausted that I could not um, stay awake. And then there were three scenes that were made without me. Again, having people you rely on, it's, yeah. it's yeah. important. Knowing this is the only done. time mm-hmm. ever <laughs> that I think... I have like, you know, collapsed or given up partway through a film and felt confident that someone else would finish it for me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is something to be said for knowing how to do a lot of things on Mm -hmm. set. It gives you a really strong creative vision. You can sympathize with crew that you're working with. You can ask for specific directions like the DP. You can ask for specific lightings. You have been there yourself. Mm -hmm. So. No, that's super beneficial. And, um, you know, going to film school was also super helpful mm-hmm. for that. Um, like I, I went to really a crew school as opposed to a director's school. Um, and that was right. really, really good mm-hmm. for just learning how all the different roles worked and what, you know, I can give people in order to, to make their jobs easier. Now, on these small independent productions, you obviously direct, but then because the crew can sometimes be so small, you have to dip your hands into other aspects of, of crew. What are some of the roles on on a crew that you gravitate towards other than directing versus what are the roles that you like don't want to touch with a 10 foot pole? Like, I want to leave that to somebody else. Don't ask me to do that. <laughs> uh, like, I really I've always liked like I've always liked writing. Like, I actually wanted to be an author for a bit. Um, mm-hmm. So that's always been a very comfortable role for me with the 12 short films in a year thing. I've actually only been the writer on one of them. Um, but that's more out of necessity than me not wanting to write the films. 
Right. Um, was so I could have the time to rep, to produce and direct all these. I needed someone else to write them. Totally makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I've always loved writing. I think um, I'm comfortable operating a camera since I do this on at my day job, but um, I've never loved being a DP. I don't think I'm the best at executing someone else's vision from the mm, camera. Okay. When I've shot for myself, I've not, like I've been able to get the results I wanted, but I've, I, I've never felt confident um, being someone else's DP. Um, and I love editing. I could, like I'll happily, I'm editing actually a film for someone else this month. So that'll be the first time I've done that in a while, but I, I love editing. That's something I'm just so comfortable in. I can, I know my way around the software so well, because in part, um, when I was making films by myself, that was the area where I had control and had the time to actually do everything. So I think I got very comfortable in that space. Um, so I think, yeah, writing and editing have really been my strengths. Um, acting, I am, I've done a lot of for someone who does not want to be an actor. Yeah. For necessity, I guess. <laughs> yes. Just finding actors that are willing to work for free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's the same thing that Scott Blurton said. He was like, he said he made himself the star of his feature because he knew he would show up every day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly why I was the main actor in all of my Spider-Man fan films and such. It was partly because I wanted to be Spider-Man, but really oh, it yeah. was mainly because <laughs> no one else was going to be there for all the scenes that I needed Spider-Man to be in. Um, for sure. So I had to really do that myself. Yeah. Um, I think like I acted recently because I ended up making a really personal film that I felt I really needed to be the person to embody that. Mm -hmm. But, um, (laughs) my whole crew will tell you, I was like the most difficult actor to work with in the world. (laughs) Like, I'd be like, Oh, sorry. Missed my eyeline. Sorry. Sorry. Reset again. Uh, sorry. Can I have a closed set here so I can (laughs) walk across a room? I just, I don't feel comfortable walking across a room unless there's no one else in it. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that. You either, you either end up being the kind of, the kind of actor who is like, okay, yeah, I did my performance and I trust that the camera got it and great, let's move on. Or you're like me where I'm doing like one line in one of my scenes and I'm like, okay, can I look at it again after we, okay, no, I, I didn't like the way I raised my eyebrow. <laughs> let's do it again. I really liked how, um, what I did was I wrote the script around also that I would, me potentially having to act, which was that I sh- I did all my physical acting um, first in one, one go. And then I didn't have to do any voice stuff until after because there was no dialogue, only voiceover. Mm, right. That's right, because um, it was a film noir. So yes. It was all narrated. Yeah. So it was really good having to, getting to separate those two components. Uh, the voiceover, I got very much back into that recording, like that filming your, by yourself thing with that um, because I was just sitting in my closet screaming into the microphone yeah. <laughs> for what felt like four hours, but it was actually like 45 minutes. Um, but yeah, I did so many takes of every line because I just wasn't happy with them. Yeah. yeah. I, I can totally relate to that. I used to work in radio and I would repeat the same line over and over again until it lost meaning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, what was the purpose of this? <sighs> yeah. yeah. And then I found as well, um, I, I've, it was good that I did it because I've picked up on my own parasites as an actor, which is getting me like more comfortable calling other actors on their parasites. Um, my big parasite has been that I close my eyes way too much and mm. I open my mouth way too much. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It's good to yeah. be self-aware of those little nuances. Mm-hmm. So you can 
direct that much more detail focused. Yes. I learned in college when we, when I was first on camera in college, my thing is I touch my face too much. Oh yeah. yeah. Just like Everyone fingers on the cord. face, like on my beard. Just, I don't know why. Now here we are talking about making films. Normally our podcast is about watching films. So I do want to ask, are you strictly the kind of person who loves making films, but not watching films? Because believe it or not, I have met people who are like, I love filmmaking. I don't like watching movies. Well, they're just, it's, they're less interested in yeah. it because they would rather just make it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's about, I like watching movies for sure. Um, I find I struggle to make the time to do it a mm. lot. Um, because I'm spending so much time making movies, but also because watching movies doesn't feel productive in the same way making movies does. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think you can blame like the culture of work, um, but I find, you know, I find sitting on the couch, I don't feel good because I'm not being productive and I like (laughs) to be productive. Yeah. Um, So it's always like, I have to like really push myself to watch movies, but the fact I still do as often as I do, I think is because I do love watching movies. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we've, we've had that feeling before where like it, it doesn't feel like we're getting anything done watching movies. And that was actually kind of the genesis, part of the genesis for making the podcast is like, if we turn watching movies into producing content, then if we're watching a movie, it, it is work. working. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but uh, I pose this question to you in, in advance for you to think about it, but I love asking this question to all of our guests. Can you name me three films that describe your tastes in movies, whether it's just watching movies, stuff that you love to see in a movie, or making movies? Uh, So yeah, I think the three movies I would say most describe my taste in movies are Sam Raimi's Darkman, um, Adaptation, uh, written by Charlie Kaufman, directed by Mm -hmm. Spike Jonze, and Silence of the Lambs, um, based on the novel by Thomas Harris. I forget who directed it. Jonathan Demme. Yes. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about those because you're speaking to someone who is a big Sam Raimi fan who has not seen Darkman. So okay. How, how would you He's pitch a big Spider-Man Darkman? Fan. How would you pitch yeah. Darkman to someone who who loves the Evil Dead movies, loves the Spider-Man movies, but has not seen that movie? Um, it's the perfect like like middle ground of the Evil Dead and Spider-Man mm. movies. Okay. Um, cool. It's like imagine Spider-Man two if Doctor Octopus was the main character. Oh, I like you're that. speaking his language. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and. Darkman's a really cool character because he was initially written actually to be the Shadow. Like that was, Raimi tried to get the rights to the Shadow character and couldn't get them. So he made up his own character. Darkman. And yeah, he's something of a combination of like a lot of like classic pulp heroes. So because of that, he's an anti-hero. And ultimately like he is, he has the Spider-Man villain origin. He's a scientist who had something horrible happen to him. And then, you know, goes to take his revenge. But because he's the hero of our story, um, we get to see that perspective, you know, fully fully play out instead of him being treated as the villain. That sounds really fascinating. Sounds awesome. yeah. yeah, maybe we'll have to give that a watch sometime soon. Yeah, for sure. And so Adaptation is another movie that I yeah. haven't seen. Hannah's seen it. Yes. And yes. she wants me to watch it. Yes, Charlie Kaufman is a really great screenwriter. And oh, Spike Jones favorite. is very inspired. I mean, you like being John Malkovich. I think that's... I also like being John Malkovich. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah, adaptation is all about a writer, and I believe he's writing a novel. No, screenplay. Screenplay? And I believe it's like he has like writer's block. Yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Um, Pretty much. I mean, you left out the interesting part about it, I feel. Well, I'm trying to like. Is that a spoiler? (laughs) I don't think it's a spoiler. I don't think it's a spoiler because it's in the opening scene. 
Okay. Um, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So said writer is Charlie Kaufman as played by Nicolas Cage. Oh, okay. And, there's, and they're twins. Technically. They're twins. Nicolas Cage plays twins. Yes. So he plays Charlie <laughs> Kaufman and his fictional brother, who is also a writer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah it's very weird and fun. Yes. Um, would you say you gravitate towards it because you're someone that's really into writing and maybe you feel some writer's block as experienced by your film noir, which is also about writer's block? <laughs> yes, 100%. Uh, there was so much of that that, like, I saw it at the right point in my life, too, where it hit me right in the feels. Like, I was trying to write my first feature. And like nothing was happening. So it was like very relatable. It, it yeah. really pushed me in the right direction. I've also like, I gravitate a lot towards stories about just artists who are struggling to create their art. Um, mm-hmm. So like another great one is Tick, Tick, Boom. Oh um, yeah, that's which great. Which I have watched like four times since it came out. Um, and Whiplash is another favorite. Oh, of mine. so good. But basically anything that's about like the struggle of making art and like pushing yourself so far. And it's like, should you really be pushing yourself that far for, for that? Like, I think there's a lot of rise and grind culture in, in the arts community. Right, for sure. And I'm, you know, I think all of those movies kind of make a good case against it. Even though these people are successful, like what do they give up for right. that? Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to make a letterbox list of movies that are like that people like suffering for their art and like trying to push themselves like that. Do you have a letterbox? I should start using it. Like I have, I've had an account for like four years, but yeah, yeah I, I don't think I've left mine. a single review or logged a single <laughs> film. <laughs> it is a fun community to be a part of, but yeah. it can be a lot like joke oriented. sometimes. Yeah. Well, my favorite YouTube series is, um, is uh, Mr. Sunday movies. He does this YouTube series where he um, he'll basically like read these insane letterbox reviews he found oh, to, yeah. oh, okay. to his friend, and then his friend has to guess like what movie it was for. Oh, I think I've heard That's about fun. this. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So on the on the topic of these three movies, so you said Silence of the Lambs, Dark Man, and Adaptation. Yeah. How do those three movies influence you, either your creative process or the kinds of movies you're making right now, or maybe that you want to make? Uh, so definitely like, you know, like I was talking about earlier, the, the struggle of making art is a theme I love to explore in films. Um, yeah, I think that's just always so important for me to put on screen. I think one big thing too, um, is like, I think adaptation is obviously very, very personal, um, to Charlie Kaufman. And so I often like in the same vein, um, everything I make is in some way about myself. Um, Like, that sounds super pretentious. But no, I mean, we, we it has to be personal, yeah. you know? Otherwise, yeah. it's maybe artificial. Like, even yeah. if nothing in the story is anything I've actually encountered in life, there's going to be, like, one character relationship or one mm-hmm. component of this character that comes from me. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So that's how I always try to approach it. I think that's been, um, like, that's the big reason why I would put adaptation in there. Um, I think... Silence of the Lambs, I've just always thought it's interesting because I love I love I love serial killer movies. I love <laughs> I love hunting down the killer though. That's my favorite right. part. Um like I, I love the the investigation component. I think that's mm-hmm. so interesting. And that's why I don't really like like Friday the thirteenth, for example, because there's no investigation. There's just dying. Um mm-hmm. so you like the analytical aspect, like yes. putting something together, like mm-hmm. writing. Well, tell me you've yeah. seen Zodiac then. I haven't yet. I oh my goodness! Come on. Yeah. That's like one of the ultimate like catch yes. a serial killer. I, I, I would yeah. definitely love Zodiac. It sounds like it's right up your alley. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think yeah, Dark Man fits on there because I've always liked like you know really exaggerated 
things when you can yeah. be a bit more fun. Yeah. Um, and so even when I'm making something that is a bit more serious, I like to have like those exaggerated moments, like another, uh, uh, like another great movie that I think actually almost encapsulates all three of those things that I like mm-hmm. go back to a lot is Knives Out. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I mean, Absolutely. that is great screenwriting as well. Like mm-hmm. you have to like fit it into all the pieces yeah. and, you know, have the bookends and everything that it's really clever. Yeah. Yeah. And it was written on Fade In, which is the screenwriting software I use. So oh, I nice. always boast about that. <laughs> Absolutely. I definitely love movies that don't take themselves too seriously, mm-hmm. especially Sam Raimi movies. Like I, I assume if we're talking about Darkman and Sam Raimi and Spider-Man, yeah. that you like the Tobey Maguire oh, Spider-Man movies. Oh, I love the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man Absolutely, movies. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It, I, I always come back to that moment at the end of the first one where the Green Goblin gets stabbed by his own glider. But just before <laughs> it happens, you see Norman Osborn look up and he goes, oh. Like, and I think the key with that is really that it's it's funny, but it's also sincere. Yeah. I think sincerity is like something that we're see- we're not seeing in a lot of modern blockbusters. Like I think a lot of the modern like superhero movies will just have like just ironic jokes making fun of everything, and like mm-hmm. it's a lot better to like be funny but still be sincere. I I find that's just so much more authentic and interesting. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's emerging in like the indie scene, like a lot of the A twenty four films lately. Oh, I agree. Like awkward, more down to earth type characters and less like yeah. glamorous movie star productions. Everything, everywhere, all at once was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, A twenty four has made some great stuff. Swiss Army Man, I think, was way underrated. I still want to see that. Yeah, we want to yeah. do like Love a Daniel, Daniel Radcliffe, Radcliffe absolutely. Yeah, horns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So bringing it back to directing. Yeah. When it comes to facilitating a set of crew members and actors, whether they're paid or volunteers, do you have a motto or a mantra or a philosophy when it comes to directing and and wrangling these people and trying to achieve a shared vision of yours? Hmm. Like a, huh. That's interesting. Let me think about that for a second. (laughs) Absolutely. Like one thing that Scott said, um, he didn't actually say this on mic, but he said it at Ottawa Comic-Con is that when someone comes to you with a question, you always have to have an answer. Even if it's the wrong answer, you just have to be able to answer it and be able to steer someone in that direction instead of being like, uh, uh, I I, I don't know. Even saying, if you don't know, like I'll think about it instead of saying, because I said so. Yeah. Or like, that's a really good question. You know, let's, let's, Um, I think a big thing actually that I think about a lot is um, the job of the director is not to like have the perfect vision right away, um, but it's to kind of have listen to all the ideas and come up with the right one. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's really good that I've always thought about is important. Like I'm very open to like taking feedback from actors and crew on certain things. Um, You know, there's always a line when, when like the AC goes up to me and starts saying, hey, uh, this is what the <laughs> actors should do in this scene. That that irks me a little, but yeah. I'm very happy to like go back and forth with the actors and the DP on what's gonna work. Um, so like, I, I like to be flexible in that regard. I also find I'm always thinking as the editor, and I think that's just because I've spent so much time editing. Mm-hmm. That's um, really useful. Yeah, but I'm always thinking about how is this shot going to cut with the next three shots? Mm-hmm. And sometimes Colin and I are on set, and he'll he'll say so he'll he'll say something like okay what about what do we do for this shot and then I'll think about and then I'll like explain the next like four shots to him and he'll be like I said for this shot. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that makes you an efficient filmmaker because you're already seeing the edit in your head so you cut maybe some of the fluff that other directors would be shooting? 
Um, I think to an extent. Um, I like to shoot a lot, though, because I like to have mm -hmm. options for that edit, even though I'm seeing it in my head. Um, because I have like, oh, this if this doesn't work, I want this. And if this doesn't work, I want that. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's not... I, I worry I'm actually the opposite of efficient sometimes because <laughs> I'm thinking so far ahead in terms of what shots are going to be where um, that like I'm not at the right point to tell my crew what's happening right now. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right on. Um, I've definitely also on the last pretty much the whole year I've been going, I wish I had the right AD and I still haven't. I've worked with a few people who've done really good jobs, but I still haven't really found the right AD who I can go back to every time. So I've often I've either not had an AD or just mm -hmm. uh, kind of said, hey, we just don't have a production schedule. We're just going to make this as we can, which is easier when your crew is like three people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's that's a tough role because in order to do it properly, you kind of have to play like the bad cop. Yeah. And to get like the schedule done and like, you know, not waste everyone's time. But then you act like, like you seem like the jerk because you're like, okay, we don't need to shoot another take. Like, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that it seems like you're against the production, but it's like, that's your job is mm -hmm. to wrangle people in. So that's probably why it's so tough to get one. Um, having saying this from a position of being Andrew's AD on uh, his feature. So, yeah. Um, I was AD on a feature last year, um, which was actually the most days I've ever worked for one production. Really? Okay. Um, yeah, that was interesting. Um, th that was my first time doing it like outside of a student film. Mm -hmm. um, and I learned very much, okay, this is not what I want to be doing because yeah. I'm always thinking about, um, you know, other things that the AD does not need to be thinking about. Mm -hmm. It's And not I'm trying role. to be too nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But we got the film shot. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, that's the important thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, diff different people have different strengths for different different roles, you know? Yeah. Like uh, our friend Kevin, who you've met, mm -hmm. um, he has a, a history of always wanting to shoot more. And this is coming from a corporate video background. Anytime we're on set, I'll reach the point where I'm like, yeah, we got enough. We should go. And Kevin's like, okay, what, what about this one more shot? I think, <laughs> I think we can get this one more shot. And then we end up staying later and later and later, which leads to some really awesome footage. Mm -hmm. But we know that Kev's not going to make the best AD, even though he makes a fantastic DP. Oh right. yeah, for sure. I mean, having worked with him and known him, he's definitely a perfectionist, which makes him a great filmmaker. But sometimes you have to be like, Kevin, you did a great job. You can just leave. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah, one thing Colin and I have talked about is he's almost my reverse AD. Mm. Um, where so the AD's job is to get the director to, you know, just focus on the creative stuff and um, you know, by taking over all the logistical stuff. Mm -hmm. But I get so caught up in the logistical stuff when I'm producing and directing my own stuff that then Colin's job becomes to um, you know, drag me back into the creative mm, stuff. That's funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's always good to have a creative partner that can help balance yeah. you out in that way. Mm -hmm. Andrew definitely has more of like a creative drive to do that kind of thing. And I'm able to rein him in a little bit and yeah. keep him on schedule. So because my experience as an AD, I'll get to a point where I'm like, I think we're good. Let's move on. And then Colin will be the one to say, hey, maybe one more take. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, within reason, like as yeah. an AD, like you're there to help the production. And yeah. if they feel like another take is going to make the production better, yeah. then sometimes you just got to be like, okay. Yeah, exactly. You know? So exactly. It's finding the balance. Mm-hmm. So bringing it to a negative space just for a moment, <laughs> and then I promise we'll come back to positive. Can you tell me about a time, either like a day on set or a string of experiences in one project where it felt like everything was going wrong at once? Because I know this is something that some people can relate to when they're going through their own personal projects where it feels like everything's crumbling and they're like, is it even worth it? And I'd love to know if you feel any similar feelings like that from time to time. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that noir film we were talking about earlier that I made in um, September, mm-hmm. like I spent the entire month thinking it wasn't going to work. I did not think it would work until I saw a, like a, an assembly cut. And mm-hmm. even then I was like, okay, this is all right. Uh, I didn't like think it was really good until it was completely finished Um, because I was just I was going through some personal stuff that month. And on Mm -hmm. top of that, we had our original idea really depended on one location that we didn't end up being able to get. Um, So we had to come up with a whole new idea in like three weeks. Um, And I wasn't feeling like motivated to create anything and I wasn't coming up with anything. And then I put together this hackneyed script about a depressed writer um, over the course of a weekend. I got up at 5 a.m. to finish it on the last day just because I was like, oh, I'm so mad and we're never going to finish this thing. And I was like, well, it's 5 a.m. I'm awake. I don't have to work for like four hours. Let's go. And I just pounded the thing out. Um, Wow. That's like the character. Yeah, 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 Exactly. exactly. It was very, very much the story of trying to make that film. Um. Yeah, well, I, yeah. I I was attached to that idea, especially when he said, you know, basically, at, at least he got it done. Even yes. if it was a pile of garbage, at least he got it done. Because yeah. that was that Make was kind mistakes. of that was kind of my mantra for the script that I wrote earlier this year. Is I was like, I'm just going to sit down and I'm going to write, and mm-hmm. no matter what comes out, it, at least something's on the page. And I said to myself, no matter what happens with this, I'm going to finish it. I don't care if I have to act in every single role. I don't care if it, if I have to film it on my phone. It's at least going to get done because then I can say that it's done and I can move on to the next thing. Yeah. So I, I appreciated that perspective as well. And yeah, that's very much that um, what I was going through that month and what ended up happening. Because even uh, like a few weeks before that, when we wrapped up film eight, I had kind of said to Colin, hey, maybe we should just leave it at eight. We called the thing 12 Tales. We said one every year for 12 months. Oh, okay. I want to make my feature. You just made that connection of the 12 Tales? Yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> but I was like, I want to make my feature, you know, is it really worth spending like all this time and money and energy on four more movies? Um, like, is my feature just going to be worse if we do that? And he said, no, well, not if we take the time next year to like make sure that we actually prep it properly. Um but then beyond that, he also said to me, if we do not finish all 12 films, we will regret it for the rest of our lives. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, it's four more films. But it's also four more learning experiences. Yeah. You know, you, learn, sure. you can learn something different from each production mm-hmm. that you can then apply to your feature. So your feature will end up being that much better. Exactly. And that was that kind of dragged me back in. But that I really thought maybe film like even after that, I was like, maybe month nine, I'm just not going to finish anything. Mm. Uh, but we did. And now we've finished 10, so two left. I'm sure it feels like even so much better that you struggled with 
number nine so much, but you were able to get it done. Like, it must feel like such a relief. Yeah, and then it was one of the best ones, too, somehow. Absolutely. It, so, was, it was really fun and engaging. Yes. Yeah. But then with film 10, I kind of got to learn from, oh, from that, that not all of them have to be like that good. Sometimes you can just make something really stupid and really funny. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was kind of good that we had to kind of do that with film 10 and I had to not be precious about it because we were doing it in 48 hours. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So bringing it back to the positive, what's the most fun you've ever had on set or just on a project overall? Huh? Um, I know we always tend to remember the bad stuff because it turns into the best stories and then we can either tell people about those stories or apply them to later scripts, but uh, hopefully some good stuff comes to mind. Yeah, I think honestly, one of the most fun things that I got to do was um, was our pop-up film school. We actually got to make our, our seventh film as part of that. Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of the fact of just getting to work with all these people we'd spent the week training um, to get to actually execute one of the films that we were gonna make anyway. Um, and that, that was just really fun because we had a bigger crew than we normally got to have. Uh, and there were people who we had trained and so we knew they were good. Um, and we got to just, we had spent, we'd had, we had all had such a fun week learning and training together. Yeah. And it was so much fun to, to just execute all of that in a film. And they were all so excited to be there. Um, and, you know, like, honestly, one of the things that was best of all was it wasn't my money. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Yeah. Gives you a little um, bit of freedom there. Yeah, no, that felt great. Um, just it was such a nice set day and we had such a simple shoot. Um, and we actually still made a really good film out of it that everyone was really happy with. Awesome. It's yeah. really nice to have enthusiasm on an independent level because mm -hmm. it's hard to get people that are reliable, show up, they're nice, and they're also enthusiastic yeah. about the project. For sure, for sure. Absolutely. Now, it's, it's always great to get people on board and enthusiastic about you know, making the film, but when it comes to putting your film out there online or if you're screening it in person or, or just trying to get people interested in it, do you find it hard to get people to care about your personal projects? Um, you know, it's funny. I used to find it really hard. And I think that was before I like made as many connections as I have from making so many. Um, so I think it is partly about just continuing to put stuff out and continuing to get your name out there. Right. Um, like it was kind of funny recently. Like I, I saw a post recently in Ottawa filmmakers that was kind of like, Oh, um, you know, I have a young person interested in film. Where do I go? And then, you know, I commented myself pretty much right away. Right. And like shared some of my resources and then like four other people immediately were like, yeah, go to bed. Oh, that's <laughs> um, so, so nice. that, that felt really cool. Um, and I think that's been kind of the same thing I've noticed with my films. When I was posting like my first films um, or like my earlier films from before this year, people weren't really looking at them. And now it's like, I have to like field emails of like, where do I see this now? Where do I find this? Um, so I think it's just like building, getting the people invested, not just in the film, but also in you and your art artistic journey, right. I think is really the key. Mm -hmm. um, like for example, I, I donated $30 to a film on Kickstarter not that long ago, mm -hmm. not because, and it was because it was someone who knew someone I knew, right? So it's on this scale, um, it's not as much about like reaching the unknown audience, it's about reaching that known audience. 
That's right. smart about yeah. marketing yourself. You get them to care about you and then they'll follow along with your projects. So I guess like the logical like extreme of that is to do a podcast or a YouTube series um, where you can get that kind of parasocial audience invested in you and then they'll be more invested in your films. Mm. But Absolutely. I haven't tried that yet because I don't know who has time to do those things. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like at least you're able to, I mean, the nature of your job and your creative projects, you're able to foster a really nice community locally, at least. Anyways. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So wrapping up here, um, you've talked about you've made 10 films so far out of this 12 film goal and you're gearing up to start a feature next year. Tell us about what's coming up next, either in the next week to month, in the next month to year or in the next five years in your head, if you want to tell us about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd love to. Like next year, I'm hoping to make my own independent feature. Um, so we'll be working with a lot of the same people we've worked with over the 12 short films. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think like the goal with this is to hit some of those higher tier film festivals um, and kind of get noticed a bit on there. Not necessarily Sundance Slamdance. That would be nice though. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, some of those just like Canadian Screen Award qualifying or, you know, even below that. <laughs> Um, just kind of getting a feature at festivals, I think will be really good for, for networking and building that career from there. I would love to eventually transition into doing feature films as my full-time job. Um, but obviously the, the in-between process is I want to keep creating that pipeline and opportunity for, for young people to make their own films Absolutely. and to, to get involved in, in working in film. Um, so I think it's, it's an interesting thing because I could go either way in terms of my eventual long-term career. I could see myself like, you know, being a DGC director or I could see myself, um, you know, being like one of the DGC union people who make sure that workers' rights are respected. Interesting. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You could do both. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, do you want to divulge any details about what you're thinking slash hoping for your feature? Or are you going to play that pretty close to the chest? Um, well, I'll say this. Um, our next film, so Film 11, is going to be a short film version of it. And we're hoping to have that at Digi60. So mm. um, cool. you can find out more about it through the short project that we'll be screening there. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic to hear. Ben, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you online? Um, at Benny B. Bergeron on Facebook, Twitter, not Twitter. I've never been on Twitter. <laughs> it's called X now. Oh, right. Uh, but no, I've never been on that. So Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, I'm at Benny B. Bergeron. And you can also look at um, my website, which is benbergeron.ca. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. And I'm really looking forward to seeing you at future keynotes and seeing more of your content out there. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Absolutely. Yeah, it was really nice to chat with you about all the creative pursuits that you're doing lately. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it was really nice to chat with you about the AD stuff, actually. For sure. I was glad I <laughs> did not totally fall on deaf ears with that. For sure. <laughs> and thanks to everybody listening out there. Look forward to more interesting interviews like this in the future. And then we'll be looping back around to some more film reviews. Thanks so much.